Hey everybody, welcome back to the Born for This podcast. Today we are joined with the ever beautiful Amanda Florskowski. I don't even know if I said that right. I try not to overthink it. That was good? Okay. Um, I'm so excited to have her on today. Um, she is a mother and an author and just does all the things and she's beautiful beyond measure and just loves the Lord. So this is just like such a treat and you guys are going to be so blessed by our conversation today. So Amanda, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I was tickled pink to be invited. I think any podcast um, with the name born for this is worthy of being on. This is great. Well, thank you. I, I feel the same way. <laughs> So Amanda, before we before we kind of jump in and get to all the things that you do and are, um, I want to share a little bit about how we met because I feel like that was God orchestrated for sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm realizing that we're coming up, I think, on what about our, our our year anniversary of friendship. Yep. Um, it was this time last year that we were both in attendance for a conference for authors through our self-publishing school, and it was everything about that conference was amazing. And Amanda and I chose to attend a little, it was just kind of like this random little sidebar conversation that one of the presenters talked on of, you know, just like, Hey, I'm going to be over here in the corner. If you want to chat about your book titles and you know, whatever, just hear details about that. And so we both showed up for that. And, um, I remember feeling so like the Holy spirit led me to my book title. And I just felt like, Oh, if I share with this guy, like what my title is, he's going to be so affirming because this is anointed by the Holy spirit. And like, I just know that he's going to love it. And I said it out loud and he was like, meh, I guess it works. <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay, y'all can move on. Someone else please share. <laughs> and, then, and then I remember, you know, you said, oh, I'm, I think I'm going to call my book unraveled mothering fiercely in a world full of fears. And I was like, okay, note to self stalker when this little sidebar is over, because I'm going to want to read that. I'm not even <laughs> a mom. But the passion that you had behind this conversation was so intense and it struck a chord with me because I, for those of you that don't know, I have a passion for fighting against human trafficking and against pornography and against all the things that, you know, feed that industry. Yeah. And I know that that is a, a large part of your, your story, story and your journey. So I, I just remember like wanting to tackle you afterwards and just like hug you and <laughs> find everything you know, find everything out about you and just learn more. And I'm so, I'm so glad that, that we were able to meet and connect in that way. And um, I actually remember meeting you before that, which is so funny because I had the mutual feeling, but I remember meeting you in the back of the main conference, talking mm-hmm. to you and being so impressed with um, what is now your book, really. Mm-hmm. And just your heart for it. My husband and I, he was a former youth pastor um, when we met. And so your heart for addressing with young women, the ability to be satisfied in their singleness was really attractive to me because of our background. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it was mutually, it was a mutual blessing for me for sure. Oh, it was so good. I feel like we fangirled over each other's outfits too, because you had those fantastic tall, like leopard or cheetah boots. And I was like, hi want to be friends with whoever wears those boots. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. My daughter, some of my, some of my friendships start on a superficial level. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> just bleed into the depth. Oh, of man. Just wants it to go. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, what's so funny is in the trafficking industry. Um, one of the things very early on my husband and I were on our, we just celebrated our 15 year wedding anniversary yesterday. So it was, oh my gosh, happy anniversary. Thank you. It was legitimately one year ago. 
that we were in Colorado on our 14 year trip. And there, there was a situation that we were in. It was just really bizarre. Anyway, it was, I was wrapping up the book, um, ready to publish unraveled in the thick of a lot of research and discussion about trafficking. Mm -hmm. Um, it had already been sent over to the editor. I mean, we were like ready to publish. And so it's like on the forefront of my mind. Well, at the same time, you know, you have this like passion for trafficking, but you also are trying to enjoy your wedding anniversary. Right. Right. So, um, we had some just very interesting things happen on that trip that God continually confirmed. This is a message that needs to be told. And on one, we had taken a train ride um, through the beautiful mountains and we had this interaction with these two people. And I remember thinking, I just feel in my spirit, something is not right. Something is not right. I know something is not right. This is just so bizarre. And I, and I'm like whispering to Aaron, I'm like, you know, and here I wrote the book, right. And I'm still sitting here thinking, how am I going to address this? And the thing that came to my mind, I'm like, I mean, honestly, I'm sitting there, Aaron was reading, I had my Bible open, we were just kind of like taking in the sights and enjoying getting to this destination, mm-hmm. via this beautiful train ride. And um, I thought to myself, I know how I'll start a conversation with her. Because one of the things that traffickers do is they don't allow you to talk to the individual that's being trafficked. Mm-hmm. They don't really have a voice and they'll actually talk for them. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I had to address something that only she could respond. And it was not her cheetah boots, but it was her shoes. Mm. And um, so that's something a lot of times when I'm talking to people, when they ask, like, what do I do in that moment? That is always something that you can address. You can always compliment their shoes. Yeah. Because they're the only ones that can respond to that. Yeah. And just even their presence and their demeanor and how they respond and their confidence level and their willingness to kind of chat back with you, you can just get a really extremely telling their body language. Yeah. You just get this, um, you have a much better feel for what you should, what you're experiencing. And you also get a better gauge of like, Oh no, I just, I'm that I didn't have a good indication. That was just kind of a, you know, feeling or like, no, I need to trust my gut on this. And this is something that I need to, to investigate more and, and, Mm -hmm. um, take more steps and, in, in protecting this child. So anyway, great segue for the cheetah boots, because that truthfully complimenting some one's shoes is a tip that I always give when someone's curious about what to do. Yeah. I've actually done that before. I will compliment an accessory of some sort or, Hey, oh my gosh, I love this sweater. Like, where did that come from? Where'd you get it? And yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. The body language is everything. And there's been times where my gut's been going off crazy and as soon as they start talking back to me, I'm like, okay, no, I get the vibe that everything is good. And sometimes it's my own anxiety projected onto something, you know, and other times it's like, oh, I just, I feel like I want to follow her to her car or like there's something going on in this area that my gut's just going crazy about. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's sure. so true. That for is sure. so true. Yeah. So that leads us definitely into um, your book, which is why a big reason why you're here today was to discuss your book topic and how that all came about because you have a very incredible story and that's connected to human trafficking. Um, So why don't you share a little bit about your journey with that and getting to the point of publishing? Well, I, I think it's interesting that you said that you brought up the pornography piece because our family's personal testimony and my husband, now that he's been recovered from this, wouldn't mind me sharing, but 
um, even before we were married, I had no idea that pornography was something that he really struggled with. And I didn't find out until several years into our marriage. Um, and it was incredibly difficult and painful for both of us. And, you know, him dealing with shame and guilt and me dealing with just the shock of it. And some, um, some listeners might not be able to relate to that because they'll think, oh, like, you know, pornography, what's such, you know, why is this such a big deal? Mm-hmm. But I can tell you as someone who, we'll get to the story in a second, who now is in the like knee deep in the trafficking fight, I can tell you that pornography has a great deal to do with, tra- with sex trafficking absolutely, and keeping it um, churning and keeping um, victims, victims and victimizers, victimizers. Mm-hmm. There's so much research out there and I do get into it a lot in the book, but it's something that even before all this, I was personally touched our family and my husband's testimony, one of the things that several of the things he'll tell you is that it it changes your whole world. It affects your self-confidence. It affects your ability to relate to men and women. It affects your ability to function at work. It affects your thought life. It obviously affects your spiritual life. Mm-hmm. It affects your marriage, your intimacy levels. Um, it destroys you from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And it, it yeah. distorts that vision that pornography gives just distorts so heavily oh. that that view of sexual intimacy between two people, because there's so much abuse. I mean, I feel like that's the, that's the main theme over across all types of pornography is that it's so incredibly abusive. Yeah. On all levels, not only to your relationship, but to the people that are even in it, involved right. in it. Right. And um, so it, it, there's research that when actually, when we look at MRIs of brain scans, we see that pornography is more addictive than hard drugs like heroin or cocaine. I mean, truly like more addictive than that. Yeah. And you, once you dab, start dabbling in pornography, it's um, actually does chemical changes to the brain as well as physical changes to the brain. And so as you're manipulating your brain, just by watching these images, you actually, as a, a viewer will need the We'll need to see things that are harder, more graphic in order to have that same um, response, just like you would doing drugs. Like you start out here and then to get that high, you have to increase. Right. And so pornography also deteriorates what the frontal lobe of a brain. Um, this is all scientific studies backed, cited. You can get on the Riesman Institute. There are several other places Um Porn Kills Love has a lot on this. Mm-hmm. So you can check it out or, or my book or website, whichever you prefer. But statistical data that that frontal lobe is functions in our brain as like a braking system. And so when you're deteriorating your braking system, you're watching this pornography, your, your um, desire to see this and then act it out grows. However, you have no physical ability to stop because your braking system in your brain is broken. Mm-hmm. And so it is like a scientifically proven commercial, <laughs> you know, like we know that there's a whole lot of research. I, a part of my career was in sales and marketing. And so we know there's a whole lot of research out there as far as like what commercials do um, to our psyche and things like that anyway. Sure. But this is like a scientifically proven commercial that once it's out there, for people, the next step somewhere along the way is going to be acting this out. 
And unfortunately, the growth of child pornography trafficking has only increased because of this. It's a huge piece of it. Is it all of it? No, but it's a huge piece of it. Um, So we, fortunately, child pornography was never a part of our story. And fortunately, my husband is a God-fearing man that um, lives free of this and lives to tell about it now. But when he started becoming very open, it was amazing to us how even in the church, how rampant pornography is. Absolutely. And no one's really not talking about it all that much. And so to be a voice for that, you know, that, that he can bring to the table has been a blessing to me because it's opened up my eyes so much more now in the, the ministry that our family has been called to, if that makes sense. Yes. yes um, absolutely. So anyway, but I, I know that you're an anti-pornography advocate as well. So I love that you address yes. that because the two go hand in hand. Absolutely. And I think there's a stigma attached to pornography that it's a, it's a men's only problem. And it's absolutely not like that. It it knows no gender and, you know, anybody can just like with drugs, anybody can become addicted to it at any age and any phase of life. And it's, yeah, it definitely fuels the trafficking industry. So I know your, your book did not just, it was not just kind of born out of nothing. There was a, there was a major life event that sparked this story. And I would just love for you to share a little bit on, on that event. Sure. Um, I did not know very much about trafficking. I, there, we had some friends who had talked about their work, their advocacy work overseas, but I had no knowledge really that it happened here in the United States and to the degree that it did until it intersected our family's life in 2016 very unexpectedly. And I always say that I don't believe my daughter was really the vulnerable one. I believe it was me Mm -hmm. because I was the perfect target because I was so uninformed and not empowered, which is why I appreciate you doing podcasts like this, because if we can get this information out to a mom or dad, they become empowered. They're not ignorant and they are less vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So we were in a grocery store typical trip like any other day I dropped my two older boys off um, to school I had my um, infant son in the carrier in the cart and my toddler daughter sitting in the cart as well and we came up to a register there's a lot more to this story but I'll just try to give you like the brief nuts and bolts of what's pertinent Mm -hmm. to what inspired um, me to really be passionate about child trafficking in America, but this couple um, was standing right in front of us. And I thought it was really weird that they were just kind of tearing by the register, but you know, whatever, maybe they're waiting for someone, but I noticed that they had very few items in their hands and any mom who has kiddos, like she kind of tracks her um, shopping visit, Mm -hmm. um, like the nap countdown. So I thought, oh, they don't have many items. I'll just go ahead and let them go um, ahead. And so I ushered them to go forward. And immediately, like immediately, the woman struck up a conversation with me. And I thought, well, you know, I'd let her go ahead of me. Like maybe this is why she just is very friendly. Returning the kindness or something. Like, you know, we just opened up this exchange and now she's wanting to visit with me. But um, her conversation was directed at my daughter and asking really kind of invasive questions. Even though I had like this cute little cooing infant in the car seat, you know, Mm -hmm. it was just really kind of odd that 
she was just wanting to know about my daughter. So Mm -hmm. she asked the same question three times. And the question was always, well, how old is your daughter? And I think she threw in another question and then she would go back to how old is your daughter? And I'm loading the bell. I just took my daughter actually out of the cart because, you know, I know we have a ride home and she's been in a cart and she's getting kind of wiggly. Mm -hmm. And so the cart is angled I'm on one side unloading the belt. My daughter's walked around to the other side and I can see, you know, from the, my peripheral vision, the top of her head. And this woman is talking to me about um, Pearl. I'll call my daughter Pearl. Mm-hmm. And she, um, she is wildly close to my daughter. But one of the things that I notice is that when she asks a question and I respond, she actually turns over her shoulder And she responds to the partner that she's with, who's looking the opposite direction, not looking at us, has shown no interest in either of my kiddos, but is communicating with her in a different language, clearly about my children, Mm -hmm. because she would, I would respond to her and then she would give that response and then he would respond back and then she'd ask me the same question, like very definitively. Mm. And I realized that I was having an unwanted conversation with this man, really. Mm-hmm. And that she was just the interpreter. So was at this point, was your like, was there any kind of weird tip off of like something strange go, that's going on? Like, were you p- starting to pick up on that at this point? Or were you Absolutely. still in this like ignorance is bliss moment of like, I know nothing about this life and this is just no. kind of weird. No, even if I didn't know anything about trafficking, I absolutely started to have these bells and whistles go off. Okay. That's a great question, by the way, because when I, after this all happened, I started researching and um, there is research by a, a man named Giga Renzer mm-hmm. and his work, his initial work on the brain and our emotions and the reaction to caution actually went into some bestsellers. And there are like entire um, training courses now for top stars and FBI and CIA using his science on trusting that gut instinct. So that's a great question because... Uh, all those bells and whistles were going off. Like I had incredible caution in that moment. Yeah. But um, I kind of was stuffing it down because I'm thinking, okay, this is this is my small town. What on earth do I have to be afraid of? I have like, conversations. Let's not be paranoid about life and everything will yes. be fine. Like you're, yeah, you're trying to ignore it. Yeah, and I think too, like we as believers, especially. Anyway, so this we'll just get go on the soapbox for a second. We as believers. Um, you know, we always want to, we, we d- strongly desire for people to see Christ in us, right? Correct. And so we never want to come across as offensive or hurtful. Right. Um, but <laughs> that, that right there is not rationale for not listening to the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, sincerely. And I cannot, I cannot you know, reiterate that enough. Like you were given the Holy spirit for a reason Mm -hmm. and God is way more concerned with your obedience Mm -hmm. um, than he is in your, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like your, the perception of who you are. Like, yeah. Like, like stuffing that down just to say face is like, not, that's not what God calls us to do. No, because you can, if you're wrong, there's usually a, a time and a place to correct that later and, you know, make that, make that right or apologize or, or whatever, if it comes to that, but not acting on that, the consequences of that could be so much greater than just hurting someone's feelings. Absolutely. And that's really not living 
with the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? Like we're living um, by works and not by faith right. at that moment. And so that was a huge learning lesson for me. Um, so no, to answer your question, absolutely. The bells and whistles were going off. However, I was thinking in my head, clearly they're from a different country. She probably doesn't know how uncomfortable she's making me. She certainly doesn't know how close she's standing to me. Mm-hmm. This is, she, she just doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's my responsibility, despite how I'm feeling right now with all the bells and whistles and this whole, and the Holy Spirit saying, caution, caution, all the lights are going off, all the alarms. Um, it's my responsibility to make sure that she doesn't feel uncomfortable. Eh, wrong. Right. Which, by the way, when you go back and study, the best thing they say that you can do when you're in a situation like this actually is to stop and um, take note of your environment. When you get into a situation where you think there's harm to you or your family, that's the first thing that you can do. It's actually very inherently one of the things that you're supposed to do. um, Even when they're training you, they say, just stop and take notice. So fortunately I did do that. I stopped loading the belt. I went around, I picked up my daughter. I'm holding her now. I'm just really uncomfortable at this lady's body language, how close she is to me, that she's asking me these same questions over and over that she's interpreting it to this random man who's not paying attention, like, like his body language is not paying attention, but he's clearly very interested in my daughter and I'm holding her and the woman now has her hand on my cart and she's so close to me that she can really only extend her hands. Like she can't even extend her arms all the way because we're so close. And she asked to hold Pearl and I said, "Uh, no, it's okay. And she kind of paused and looked at me. And I'm, I'm, if I recall, she asked again, like, oh, no, let me hold her. Well, I said, no, I think her diaper is, and then as wet, the word wet left my mouth. This woman was physically pulling my daughter from my arms. This was the only time. Now, keep in mind, I just told this perfect stranger I just met 60 seconds before. Mm-hmm. She's not allowed to hold my daughter. Right. I've, I've told awesome. her no twice. No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Told her no pulls my daughter from my arms. This is the only time in this interaction that she starts backing away and they got their groceries. They're ready. They're headed out. Right. And she's backing away. And that split second, I pray no mom has to encounter because you're thinking to yourself, okay, my son is in the cart. I have to leave him in order to go get my daughter. Like you're negotiating in those milliseconds. Like how do you protect everyone? Your plan of action. Right. Right. So she, um, I'll never forget this. She picked up my daughter's arm and she had her parrot say bye-bye to mommy and made her wave to me. (laughs) And I get asked the question a lot. Well, what do you, what do you think that they would have done? Um, I was able to retrieve my daughter. So I guess I'll never really know Mm -hmm. from what I've learned. I think building that relational camaraderie with my, my young daughter probably would have been very easy for her to repeat in the parking lot, say bye-bye to mommy. And it wouldn't have alarmed my daughter at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, it would have been a really easy getaway. Do I, do I know that for sure? No, but I can look at what happens and right. make a assertion. But, um, and you know, the whole story, there's a lot more that goes to right, it. There's, right. Cause I have read you your know. book. <laughs> yeah. There are two more people involved. Um, one of which I believe was the, the head of that trafficking ring. I'm actually good friends now with a victim of his. Um, he is a trafficker. He was released from prison just like three weeks 
before this encounter and um, is a very dangerous man. Very dangerous. Wound up back in prison and is is free again now, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah. But so, okay. So, because you described, I mean, I obviously know the whole story, but I feel like this is a question that everybody listening is going to be like, okay, but how long was that in, that exchange of you said, no, she grabbed your daughter and then you grabbed her back? Like, because I know you you went through this whole bargaining of like, how do I protect both kids? What's my course of action? What do I do? Is this really happening? Like, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that sounds like it was a half an hour of, you know, dialogue going back and forth, but it was actually fairly quick. Was it not? Right. Yeah. I would say, I mean, we got the video back, um, because the grocery store obviously records the, what happens in all the, the, the aisles. Yeah. Right. Um, and it, I would say it was probably, you know, seven to 10 seconds. Um, but it feels like a lifetime, obviously when you have someone who's walking away with your daughter, Mm -hmm. but, and I, I I honestly was so kind of traumatized by that whole situation. I didn't even really know until we were talking to Texas Rangers months later, like where those two individuals left, like which exit they went out and you know, what parking lot video footage showed. I, I didn't know any of that. Obviously I was just kind of coming down from the intense adrenaline rush. And I can't, this is the meanest thing that I could think of. It was so funny, (laughs) but I, after I grabbed my daughter, I look at this woman and I go, where are your children at? And I think what I was trying to reconcile in my mind was you're a mother. How Mm -hmm. on earth could you have just, or if you're a mother, like how on earth could you have just done what you did? I mean, you must know no matter what cultural background you have, how terrifying what you just did to me was right. Um, and so that at that point I could tell that she got really shaken up because she could tell that I was really shaken up mm-hmm. and, um, well, and she probably did not expect you to reach back and grab, you know, I'm assuming that if that happened, they've made multiple getaways with countless children before. Yeah. I have no idea. I will say this. I mean, I got some letters afterwards from people who are really well intended that were like, how could you say that about this couple that, probably didn't intend anything, any harm. And I will say this, um, to though, to that response, I would say, you know, the, the Lord alone put this, you know, when I started researching, I put that my brief story and cited some statistics that I had found because I knew nothing. I mm-hmm. was a part of a mom's group in my community. And I thought I, I felt this burden to at least make other moms aware um, that this was happening, contacted police, you know, did my part, did what I could do. And, um, very unexpectedly that went viral and going viral is not like signing up for a reality show. Right. Like, right. It's just totally different. I mean, you don't, you you don't good, bad, the ugly, like, and it's so out of your control because when you're posting something on social media, you don't get to, to know who sees it and shares it and comments on it. And yes, all of that. Yeah. And you don't sign up for it. Like you don't, like you haven't like got new clothes and gone to the interviews and like met the producers. I mean, it's not like that. Right. Um, You, it's not something that you solicit. And so when this happened, that equally in of itself was terrifying for me. And I I didn't even make this like public. It was just, you know, my friends and a a friend from Chicago said, Hey, I'd really like to share this story with some, my mom friends up here. Do you mind making it public? And then it just exploded. And that in and of itself, like I said, was terrifying. I mean, less than 48 hours after this had happened, I have no clue who's on the other side of that computer screen. I have no idea how I've opened myself and my family up to 
lack of safety, um, criticism, concern, curiosity, even applause. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm one of those people who will rise to the occasion of leadership, but like, uh, I didn't, I didn't need the world platform. Right. Right. So when that happened, um, some of the messages had that, that type of mindset. And I thought, you know, to date, it's estimated like 60 million people have read this story. And then about five weeks ago, Carissa, someone pulled all the stats from my book and reposted it with my name and it went viral again. And in all of that virality, not one time, not one time have any of those four individuals come forward and said, Hey, that was me in the grocery store. Big mistake. Absolutely didn't intend, you know, I did how it came across is not my intent or, you know what I mean? Like if it, if it weren't what we're all saying it is, which we know it is, you've read the book and you know, some of the things that have happened, then that probably would have happened by now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's a very legitimate thwarted child trafficking situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm realizing because it went so viral, moms constantly contact me constantly or tag me in stories of moms that they know. And I am not an anomaly. I'm truly not. I mean, this is the statistics. These statistics are definitely in, well, I guess negatively in your favor of of showing that that is that's pretty certain what that was, right? Because we know that when we think like human trafficking and you know the porn industry and all of that, we're thinking of you know adult escorts or people eighteen and up. But the the alarming number of children you know, ages two to 10 is just incredible. And and you just would not, I I would have never, until I started digging into it myself, I would have never understood what in the world those statistics even were. And when you know them, which I wish I could spout them off from memory, but I cannot, but when you see them, it's just, it's so startling. And so it, it completely validates that experience for you and that it was absolutely the Holy spirit coming into you saying, share this because we need to be talking about this. We need other moms, other dads to know what are the signs, what to look for and how to trust your gut in these situations. And Mm -hmm. when it's okay to be like, not paranoid, but cautious, like, like righteously cautious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. I I think, um, in part of that, like you said, just being righteously cautious means being knowledgeable of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. just be knowledgeable we're seeing, um, you know, some of the statistics out there right now are so very skewed, unfortunately, because this is such a massive problem. One, and I talk about this in chapter five, if you don't look at trafficking as a business, you're really losing out mm-hmm. because traffickers are business persons. They, um, and for business to happen, you know, this, you need innovation, you need forward thinking, you need, you need great, um, strategies. You need to be ever evolving. There is no way that this is has surpassed arms dealing internationally mm-hmm. and is quickly surpassing the drug trade mm-hmm. because if, if there was no innovation or, or evolution to it, it just wouldn't be happening. But because it's such a big problem, we have about we have two, um, I would call organizations that are tracking this. And the information is not always the most accurate or up to date because of 
trafficking as business and the evolution and innovation of it. Mm-hmm. And because we only have two organizations that are tracking it, page 16 of what we call the trafficking in persons report is put out by our government annually every year. In fact, one of the gentlemen that's in our Vigilant Families video, he produced the very first ever uh, trafficking in persons report for our federal government. Amazing man. Um, but page 16 this year of the, the 2020 report says there's in so many words, there's just so much we don't know. Mm-hmm. And these are the things that we're doing. There are five other organizations that are kind of tracking information. These, you know, we're, but, but ultimately it's astounding to me that it says, but we really don't know. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I would tell a parent, you can't open up a pamphlet and say, okay, these are the five ways that kids are being trafficked. I know that most, um, I know that they're happening. The most, the average age is like 12 to 14. I know that it's usually um, happening to kids in our cities and, and they're being trafficked because they're vulnerable or seen as homosexual. I'm telling you right now, does that happen? Yes. Is that statistically accurate? No, mm-hmm. it's really not. We are, because of the limited data collection, because of we don't know what we don't know, because of the evolution in, in, of it. And this is this is what I espouse. I mean, you might sit across the table from other people that will say, well, no, these are this is all accurate. But I'm telling you, anyone with critical thinking skills that that has a business background like I do, who's able Absolutely. to look at this and go, no, there's evolution innovation will tell you, even if someone says, well, the number one way trafficking happens is by a family member. You know, that it, it also is done on the internet. At, yes, it does happen that way. But if I, as a parent, think that's the only way it happens, I'm grossly misled to not be um, alert and aware of the fact that it happens. We're seeing now a rise in what's called peer-to-peer trafficking at school. The statistics are alarming at how that's growing. We're seeing a rise in um, infant pornography. Mm -hmm. When you go back and look at the research, there are some research data collection agencies that don't even collect data on kids below 12. Well, then how do we know of course, it's going to accurate statistics. Like it's this not, is not it's accurate hard. information. Yeah, because we're not we're not looking at the reality all spaces. All yeah, absolutely. Yes, you're like absolutely right. As, as a well, and I want to say like as a obviously we're speaking in terms of as parents, but I mean I I take my nieces and nephews out, and you know so I I'm very much aware of those spaces as well because I have so many kids in my life that mean so much to me, and um that I feel like if we're not looking at all of the ways that it could happen, and if we are misinformed, then we're allowing ourselves to have this false sense of security and our guard gets dropped down. Yes. Then that's when these things happen. Yes. And it's not, like you said, not that we want to just be, you know, paranoid all the time, but being informed is empowering. Yes. And if you know how to be, how to, you know, empower yourself and to get this information and to protect certain, you know, technology devices and what to check and what to look for, then it's just a matter of monitoring, you know, your home, so to speak, just like you would if you had a, you know, the, everybody's got the ring doorbell. Well, if it goes off and it shows that somebody's at your door and you hear noises, you're not gonna be like, oh, I'm sure it's like a squirrel. Like it's probably fine. No, you're going to utilize your resource and you're going to check your camera to see 
Is there a squirrel scratching at our bird feeder out there? Or is it a person trying to get through our front door? And I feel like that's where, you know, this information is so beneficial because there, you hit the nail on the head. It's ever evolving. And I know in my line of work as a therapist, I'm constantly trying to educate my teenagers to not be ignorant and to not feel like they're secure in all of these spaces. And just to be aware because there, I don't even know what the word security means anymore when it comes to the internet, because I feel like it's, doesn't mm. even, it's irrelevant. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I love that you have started this, this ministry is what I want to call it. Um, of just sharing information and helping people understand what we currently know. And then con- I feel like you're continuously throwing out more and more um, of like the latest information as you get it just to keep evolving with, like you said, with the the business itself, because it definitely is a business. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately. I mean, you think about how expensive these kids are, the younger they are, the more expensive they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a few different reasons, one, those who can't talk, can't tell. Mm-hmm. And like we were talking about before um, there, there's a lust for the, fascination with the younger ages as mm-hmm. pedophilia is ramping up and becoming yes. more acceptable and um, the normalization of it in our society and things like that. And so we are seeing a huge push for that. So we have, as parents absolutely need to be not only aware, but if we're like, I told you in the beginning, I, w- I was the one who's vulnerable in the store that day. And I love that you use the word empowered because it's not a word to be taken lightly. It is exactly, you know, we we're seeing the recording um, with an advocate and she stopped herself and she goes, Hey, Amanda, should I have said that? Because um, I don't want to, and you know, this from being in your line of work, I don't want there to be secondary trauma in this, in anybody's life, because I'm discussing some very real facts. And I looked at her and it was one of those Holy spirit moments. And I said, we are absolutely not causing secondary trauma. We are protecting a youth from secondary trauma because we are empowering her or him to be able to function fully knowledgeable of their surroundings and what's going on around them. I mean, you think about when we were teenagers, like we, you, you just live totally differently, right? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) You're you're never going to die. Like you could be a risk taker and all things. But, um, had someone looked at me and said, Hey, I love you so much that I need you to know X, Y, Z. I would have been grateful and so we're empowering and that that's truly, you know, we, I wrote the book and then I would get these emails all the time. Like, Oh my word, I'm so um, impassioned by this now. Now, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And so our second project vigilant families really came out of that. It's the first ever. Can you believe that? Like that blows my mind. Like, like this, nobody thought about this before, but it's the first ever um, anti trafficking online training course for parents and kids, youth included and small children included, that is um, broken up into bite-sized pieces. Like you can listen to it in the car or watch it while you're making dinner with your kiddos. It's also broken up into age-appropriate segments. So parents can watch. There's parents only, and then there's teens, and then there's young children that can watch with their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and we cover everything. A lot of the things that you're talking about, like internet safety. So you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And, so, and because of my background and because of the, the situation that I've endured, 
I feel like the Lord has really allowed me to create this product sensitively. Mm-hmm. Like you, you watch some of these movies or, or just, or even documentaries or inf- I don't know. I just research a lot. And some of them I'm like, Whoa, I can't believe they went there. You know, like, yeah, I feel like you, your approach is so full of empathy and compassion because you know, as a mom, you know how terrifying that experience was not only because it happened to you, but then you can think of as you're researching more and more and more, you know, and hearing other people's stories, you just instantly put yourself in the, in the shoes of those parents and say, Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. So how can we empower moms and dads out there and children in a way that is loving and in a way that is, you know, coming from oh, just like a, like you said, more sensitive place where it's not like a smack in the face. Yeah. Like when we smack people in the face with everything so harshly then people shut down because it's, it's too much. It's too scary all at one time. But you yes. said that bite size. I love, oh, I love that you're breaking it down in bite sized pieces yes. that can be more tolerable. Hey friends, so I had to interrupt this episode to give a shout out to our partner today. We are doing things a little bit differently on the Born for This podcast. Instead of having weekly sponsors, I'm having weekly episode partners who are other creators who have positively impacted my life. Today's episode partner is Wonderfully Made Art. Now my friend Josie uses her God-given talents to create amazing watercolor, line art, and calligraphy pieces. One of my absolute favorite purchases was a custom design that incorporated a variety of gorgeous succulents that she made for my goddaughter's baptism gift. I was blown away by what she was able to make and how quickly my order was delivered. Head on over to her Instagram, give her a follow, and use the code BORNFORTHIS and receive 10% off your first purchase. That's wonderfully made art, W-A-N-D-E-R-F-U-L-L-Y-M-A-D-E dot A-R-T. Now let's get back to our chat. As the church, it's so horrific. Like there are some things that are so graphic and so disgusting and so gory. I mean, I, I would never share. I don't even share with my own husband. Of course I don't. But um, but it's so vile and disgusting. Some of the things I've known or heard or seen when I'm mm-hmm. when I'm talking with these people. I would never share that. But you're you I mean, you're absolutely right. We if that is so much for us, for the normal you know, mind, um, not this like warped mind that could actually do some of this stuff, Mm -hmm. but for the normal human mind, it's so warped and evil and vile that we do shut down. We can't even go there. Mm -hmm. And so we've plucked the shock value out because we don't want someone to shut down. We want them, um, to be empowered because listen, if they don't have this information, guess who wins the trafficker, right? It takes a trafficker eight minutes to determine whether or not they have a victim on the line. Eight minutes, that's all it takes them. Because when they're interacting with a youth or a child online, at the mall, in the movie theater, whatever, um, they can identify how vulnerable that child is because of their how they carry themselves, their confidence or lack thereof, the relationship with their parents, mm-hmm. you know, if they're out late by themselves, all that kind of stuff. That's that, that so, grooming procedure that takes place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Eight minutes. That's all it costs a trafficker. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you like this vigilant families program, a parent is making their child and their family 
because we give them all those resources. Like, this is how you even talk to your kids. These are something, I mean, there's such a fam- familial element and parenting element to it that really um, we're creating really strong families in the midst of it too, because that, that really strong family unit is what makes a child less vulnerable and makes a child the least attractive to a trafficker. So it's kind of like, we're on to you and <laughs> this is what we're doing about it, you know? So. Anyway, I hope that. Yeah. So, so talk to us more about vigilant families. When is when? Because I want to, I want to participate in that right now. Um, so, <laughs> when I feel like you you had mentioned earlier that it's still is that still in the works? Is it coming soon? Is it already released for people to access? Yeah, we have www.vigilantfamilies.org. Make sure to put the www.vigilantfamilies.org. You can log in there and find out more about the program, what we do, how we do it, how it's broken down, who some of the contributors are. I mean, big names. It was such a God thing that these people collaborated on this. It's just unbelievable to me still, Um, but, but are so passionate about this fight that they willingly stepped up and said, yes, we will give all of our knowledge and resources and information to parents. Uh, but you visit that website, it's available for pre-order right now. And we actually will have uh, all everything edited and online in truly like this fall, like in just a few weeks now. Oh, that's amazing. So, that, so by the time, because I know we're pre-recording this. So by the time this comes out in September, then it might yeah. already be available. Yes. That's exciting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So very exciting. And we have, um, we've done it at a really discounted rate so that it can be accessible to everyone early on. We know that as we, I mean, we have to add content to it all the time because right. like we talked about it being a business, it's mm-hmm. always, that's one of the benefits of all some changes. You guys are going to keep up with that yeah, and yeah. add new content. Yeah, you have to, because if you put out a book or something, it's going to be outdated. Um, right. Which is why I very wisely put in like the bare, like the basics and stuff in chapter five. And I didn't make the whole book about trafficking. Um, a lot of it is, okay, mom, now that you know about this information, where do you go from here? Like you can't live in fear because you read some of that stuff and you go, that's it. We're nobody's going to school again. And we're all going to hole up in our house and you're never going to ha- go to a sleepover and heaven forbid you get invited to a birthday party. I mean, it's so easy when you start hearing about this stuff, you're like, right. Yeah, we're just we're, you guys are gonna live with Throw me forever. Our phones away, and we'll go move to a cave somewhere. And <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> how does Antarctica sound? Like, how's right. the real estate down there? So you, I mean, you do. You just go there mentally as a yeah. mom, and then you start. And then if you hear anything about it, it, kind of triggers that same feeling again. And and I could have easily lived there. I mean, this happened with my daughter a few months later. Um, my son was miraculously recovered in a drowning accident. And that too, I pray no parent ever has to do. I mean, Aaron pulled him out from the deep end of a swimming pool, blue, distended, purple lips, absolutely no appearance of life in his little body. And I had to press my lips to his. And in that moment, ask the Lord to essentially exchange my life for his. I would have, I, of course, I truly would have. I mean, I was, it was the most terrifying experience. Um, and our son never vomit anything up. I mean, miraculously was recovered. And four weeks after that, just after Christmas, 
we had a devastating house fire where everything we owned after over 12 years of marriage for a family of six fit into a nine by nine storage shed. I mean, it was like nothing, hardly anything was recovered. Um, and that fire actually, we were told afterwards saved our two older boys. Um, because when the electrical fire happened in the main house, we were able to test the electricity and the electrical panel in the little apartment that was like butted up to our house. Mm-hmm. Where we had just had a contractor out the week before he was going to go ahead and put in a den that would connect the whole house. We'd only lived there like five months and just moved our boys into their own little, you know, they're eight and nine. They thought they were really cool. Yeah. We lived like way out in the country on 10 acres. And so it was really safe, but we wanted to, you know, we wanted it all went home. Yeah. Um, but that fire enabled us to see that it would have been days, if not hours, they told us that that would have burned down and it would have had my two little boys in it. Oh my so God. our fifth child, we really did lose to death um, when we had a miscarriage at 10 or 11 weeks. And so, you know, I could have very easily lived in that place of fear and there's that temptation to do that. Absolutely. But, um, I felt like the latter half of the book and just my, my mantra and my mission in general is making sure that people can live at the perfect tension of this awareness that we can't ignore. Mm-hmm. We can't. And then at this faith filled place of peace. And because this side of heaven, the imperfection of the world we live in will always live in that tension. Yes. But just recognizing that there is a tension mm-hmm. and that um, we don't damn ourselves for having these feelings, this side of heaven, that we want to, all, we always long to care and protect and, and, you know, nurture our children that God has given us to be responsible for, mm-hmm. while at the same time, not living in a place of um, paralyzation and inability to go out and do great things in this world to fight for our kids and to, and to protect and to be a voice and to do the hard things and to be brave in the midst of what feels kind of scary sometimes. Like, so that was my own journey and was finding that the living in that tension. And, and I just share really practically how moms can do that and what I, um, how God's done that for me and my own testimony and just some really, kind of emotional, pivotal, spiritual markers in my own life where God just showed up and uh, gave me things that to share with other moms who are are in that same place. Mm. I love that. I feel like experiencing so many devastating things, you know, or potentially devastating things as well. So much trauma all in such a close amount of time, you know, one right after the other could have could have just, you know, sunk you to a pit that you could not have gotten out of. But I feel like this is such a a testimony of how God makes all things new and how he yeah. does not give us a spirit of fear, you know, but yeah. a word of hope and how he can restore all things. And it seems like he's just, oh, he's mm-hmm. just like went deep into your heart and just restored all of those parts that were traumatized by these experiences and said, mm-hmm. hey, like I am not done with you. Like I I'm calling you to a great thing and I need you to pick yourself up and get on it because you are not done. And then hello, here's this book and here's this program. And here is like all of these doors that were just 
you know, pushed open for you so, so amazingly. And over the course of, I mean, I've just seen so many things happen just in the last year of being your friend and of knowing you. And I'm just blown away at how God just continuously shows up and how, how willing you are to, to be an instrument for him and to be that vessel. And I just, I wish more people would pause much like you did in that grocery store to take in your surroundings and be able to say, okay, God, this feels like this is going to be never ending. And this feels like I'm just, I'm just done. I'm toast. But how are you going to renew this? How are you going to use it for a testimony and for your glory? And man, when you ask that question, he delivers and he he just delivered so, so beautifully for you and your family and to bring you out of this and to be so affirming of all the things where I don't want to say like, Oh, all, all that suffering is worth it. But I feel like so much comes out of suffering. You know, we gain so much compassion and so much empathy. And in mm. this case, like so much knowledge and awareness for something that you could have easily just, you know, it could have been a stone left on, you know, left turned and like, you could have not picked that up and could have not tackled this huge project and gone through this ridicule and all the spiritual warfare that you had to endure. But we're sitting here today and I just, I can't stop smiling. So I'm thinking, man, God prevailed in this and he prevailed in your life and has been so gracious to you and your family. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really is him. I love that you call it to him. So I'll close with this, the overarching, you know, we have vigilant families. We have able moms because I believe that moms are a pivotal part in the family mm-hmm. uh, and having connections. And, and I, and because women have that, that like you were talking about being with your nieces and stuff and nephews, because we as women have that just um, nurturing spirit anyway, mm-hmm. you'll see a lot of the people that are in this fight are, are normally typically um, are female, not always, mm-hmm. but typically. And so, and then you, so all that to say um, was able moms created, did it come out of like, I response to trafficking. No, but having kids with strong moms absolutely affects them being less vulnerable. (laughs) So that was a passion too, but the overarching umbrella of um, all these ministries is titled fearless narrative. And the reason we chose that and the blog's name is fearless narrative. And the reason we chose that is because I believe exactly what you said. Revelation 12, 11 says we overcome by the blood of the lamb in the word of our testimony. It astounds me that that scripture verse says the blood that was shed on the cross by Jesus Christ. This is the only time even talking about my kids this is the only time I get so emotional is when I talk about this because the blood that was shed on the cross, God in that scripture verse equates with our own personal stories of how that affects us. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to overcome trafficking or fear or maybe anything that one of your clients walks through the door with that's burdening them or one of the listeners of Born for This is listening, anything that they're walking through the door with and they're carrying in their load and struggling with or need to overcome we overcome not just by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, how that story of God's 
death on the cross, his resurrection, how that affects your life personally and what he's done for you. And for to equate those two is unbelievable to me, which is why we called it the fearless narrative, because everybody who's decided to surrender and submit their lives to Christ has a story. Absolutely. Everyone. And so it's not just me who has a story. And I love telling it because I love that it overcomes, you know, it makes me an overcomer. Other people who hear it become an overcomer. But just in closing, like I encourage all those people who are listening that their story, they've got one too. They have a story if they're walking with the Lord. And that story is what gives them power to overcome and to and for others to overcome through their own personal testimony. Mm-hmm. And so I'm no different. I'm not, you know, more unique than, than another believer. Um, because God promises that to us, you know, that that's a way to overcome. And, and I always say, you know, if you want to, if you want to free a victim, you have to first free a victimizer mm-hmm. and in freeing a victimizer, they have to hear that they have to hear the blood. They have to hear the words. They have to hear the blood of um, the lamb and the words of our testimony. Mm-hmm. And so we as believers play a very important role in releasing victims and victimizers in that we carry within us the ability, that freedom, mm-hmm. the ability to set others free. Yeah. And victimizers have to receive that. I mean, I, I understand that. Trust me. I'll be the steps that go into play there, but, but I yes. feel like what you're saying is like, there's yes. no, like God is, yes. God is for us, not against us. And he wants us to be yeah. in with him. Yep. And there's no, and, and un, un, undoubtedly, I mean, there has to be accept, accept, acceptance of that as a victimizer and there has to be repentance and things, you know, it's not, it's not, um, I don't mean to diminish the work of God, by just throwing out this little phrase. Um, you're right. There's just so much wrapped up in that. But ultimately, in the way that you said it, you there's no one that's beyond God's reach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like we started this conversation. My husband would have told you when he was knee deep in a pornography addiction, he was beyond God's reach because it was more addictive than crack cocaine. One of the hardest things he ever had to do mm-hmm. was walking with the Lord and overcoming that addiction. But um, and it did not happen overnight. And it took a lot of people and a lot of prayer. And he would have told you I'm beyond God's reach, but he, the other side of it would say, that's a lie. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that if you have that understanding of, oh, this, this one sin or, or my life as a whole is beyond God's reach, then that, that is saying yes to, to the devil. And that's letting, that's not letting God win. And God is victorious always and you know, in every situation. And so I love that that he can see that now and that he can be such a powerful testimony for others who are, you know, in the thick of it and can't see a way out to see that he has overcome that and that he is freed from that. Such a beautiful story. Yeah. Wait, it's, it's been a fun journey. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good 15 years yesterday. I would do it all over again. So love it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. And I know that I feel like we just, you know, kind of scrolled off on so many different areas of, of what you're doing right now. And I love that you have so many areas of ministry that we can touch on. And so how can, I know we have, uh, 
vigilantfamilies.org and your blog is the fearless narrative. How can people find you um, and maybe like purchase the book? Because I know like we just briefly touched on your story. Um, and so it is, the book is definitely, I would highly recommend definitely worth a read. Um, so if people want to pick that up and just know more about your background and that, that trafficking situation, um, where can we, where can we find all that? Okay. You can find everything on my personal website and that's just my first name, Amanda, and then flow F L W.com Amanda flow.com. Um, Instagram is a great way to just get tips and connect. And I, a lot of stuff that I put on the blogger website, um, you'll find shows up there and it's just an easy way. So I'm on Instagram at my first and last name, Amanda underscore Florzakowski. I guarantee I'm the only one. Um, I would, I would believe that knowing how yeah. to spell it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, checking out the website, amandaflow.com and that will have a link to www.vigilantfamilies.org and then also, um, ablemoms.org too, but you can find all that information and everything. And I encourage people, you know, it's such a, um, it re- it's not taboo to parents, but it is a very tab- mainstream taboo topic. And by the time this airs, it might even be more so, but we're seeing it now where there's just a lot of like, uh, I don't know if censorship, censorship probably is the right word, but Mm -hmm. you just, you're not going to see a lot of it. And so, um, I would strongly encourage people to subscribe because it's a great way to just get it. Like ensure that that you're making it, that you get all the, all the good nuggets that you guys are sending out and finding. Yeah. That you might not see you know, on social or whatever. So yeah. Perfect. Okay. So I'll make sure and link all, uh, all the ways that people can find you and all the resources in the show notes. You guys don't miss a thing. And Amanda, thank you so much for being here today. Mm -hmm. And by this point you will have a little baby in your little arms because you are (laughs) just, it's just any day now, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yep. For sure. Yeah. I love it. Thank you for on the short list. I will be texting you when baby gets here. You're on the short list. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time in the middle of all your bed rest to to join me. (laughs) We look forward to all that, just all of the ways that God is going to use all of these different ministries. And we just pray for all the success in the world Mm -hmm. as you get all of these things started. Thanks, lady. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Born for This podcast. I hope you join us for next week's episode. Please make sure you're subscribing, and I would be honored if you would share this episode with your friends on social media. If you enjoyed our chat today, it would mean so much to me if you would leave a review and a rating so we can make this podcast visible to as many people as possible. As always, remember that you were chosen by God to be in this world for a specific reason. Whatever God is calling you to, I hope you know you were born for this.